We are the visionaries. The rule breakers. The rebels. And then trailblazers. We are the change makers. We want to recognise the traditional peoples of this continent whose land was stolen nearly 250 years ago. We at Young Changemakers Headquarters would like to particularly acknowledge the traditional landowners where we are recording and editing our stories, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The rich storytelling history of the world's oldest living culture is what we proudly pay respect to when we share stories at conversations with changemakers. It is said that the practice of storytelling sustains communities, validates experiences, nurtures relationships, and serves as a form of important cultural continuation for Indigenous peoples. Changemakers and the stories that we share, we too hope relationships are nurtured, experiences validated, and our community sustained. In conversations with changemakers, people are sharing their authentic stories with us. This episode comes with a content warning about mental health crisis and violence towards people with disability. You can always reach out to the changemakers team for a chat, or if you need immediate assistance, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to Conversations with Changemakers. This week, we're talking your rights, all things rights and legislation, and we are joined by Declan Lee. Declan is a passionate advocate for disability rights who wears many hats. He's deeply engaged in research at UNSW and occasionally takes on the role as a guest lecturer. He also serves as a board member for the Ageing and Disability Commission in New South Wales. Declan brilliantly combines his academic background in law and criminology with his real-life experiences to champion his advocacy. Can I say Declan was also the star of this year's Mardi Gras, where his sign was one to remember. Welcome, Declan. Thank you, Ellie. It's a pleasure to be here. I said your Mardi Gras sign stole the show. I was sitting on my couch watching Mardi Gras, and all of a sudden there is Declan with looking absolutely damn fabulous, can I say, and you had this big sign, and Honestly, I think I there was more tweets about your sign than there was about anything else, and everyone was talking about your sign, including the um, hosts on the ABC. They were chatting about your sign. It just took over. So what did your sign say, Declan? Uh, I think the, the signs that um, people with disabilities get horny to, so it was basically yes. the, the sign to say, look, we... We have sex, we're capable of having sex as much as anyone else can have sex. So it was just about and I, getting a thought-provoking sign out there to just show people. And I think it also just, like, said 
we get to be here too. We get to be in this Mardi Gras space as well and it totally owned the space and you just instantly like completely owned by the whole Mardi Gras community let me say because people loved it Uh, I completely it was a completely uh surreal uh experience I totally was not expecting the reaction that I got of a complete culture shock on so many levels that was so just amazing well um we're talking rights and sexual rights are important so um I'm glad we got to chat about that but uh, your background is incredible all of your academic work your work on boards your work um in advocacy you are incredibly busy young man but where did all of this passion for rights come from? Where did, like, where did you clearly have a obsession with upholding rights? Where did that come from, Declan? Oh, so it's a really good question, Ali, because I think, you know, having been born with cerebral palsy, um, you know, I've always been uh, in situations where. I've always felt different from from everyone else for quite some time. And I think it started when I was at school where, you, you know, like my watching my parents kind of advocate for me growing up, making sure that I had access to mainstream school, making sure that there were lifts and ramps and, and things involved. So, um to, to make sure that I got equal access to education and, you know, through them, they allowed me to find my own voice to to, to spread my wings, so to speak. And I think it really didn't hit home until I started university and then I realised that, that university was probably the, the most inaccessible place mm. on the planet. I agree, um, yeah. You know, I went to, I did doing SW in my undergraduate school at doing SW. And, you know, for a long time, it was hard to kind of find my footing. Um, it wasn't the mm. most wheelchair accessible campus. You know, there weren't that many um, accessible bathrooms on campus. Um, mm. You know, there wasn't anything like, you know, live captioning and subtitles in which we kind of take for granted now but back when I started 10 years ago there just wasn't that much in the way of support for students with disabilities and so that's when I realised that hey I'm not actually getting the right to an education because the university were at the time were unwilling to provide the appropriate services. Um, Thankfully that's changed now especially since, you know, there's been um, a big push on my part and a lot of our students' advocacy. So that's certainly changed. The group that you're speaking to, the change makers, lots of them will be going into university. I started my law degree. I made it two years in before the lack of support and the inaccessibility just became too hard to overcome like it it just was so inaccessible and people were just refusing to give me the accommodations that I deserved um how 
Can you give some advice to these change makers who are going into a university setting for the first time about how to advocate for your rights in a university setting? Yes, it's a really good question and I've often had to change tack over the years about how best to effectively um, represent my own rights. Um, I think the best thing to start off with when you're enrolling in university for the first time is to do um, solid homework around what supports your university provides, but also get to know the Disability Discrimination Act back to front because that is your that is your security blanket going into the university. Um, and you know, by law, universities have to provide um, support for students with disability accessing tertiary education. And so if a if for some reason the university doesn't want to provide you with support, whether that's through physical access, learning support, you know, or or anything, um, then then that's a clear sign that they're breaching the Disability Discrimination Act. Um, also, I find it helpful to reach out to other students, uh, particularly students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So often. Student representative councils have um have members on there on there that have a disability, so they're also good to reach out to, um, and also get to know your disability support people on campus. Um, because even if they um they uh, because they're the main ones that are responsible for providing support, so get to know everyone basically. Yeah. Yeah, charm your way in is what I found is the best way. Um, in terms of rights and legislation, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, not everyone can read the Disability Discrimination Act, Declan. Um, and so how do you, you would work with lots of people with disability who don't have that knowledge and can't actually, that's um, not something that they can do. How can people with disability arm themselves with the information they need about their rights? What's the best way to go about that? Yeah, it's a good question because, like, even as now a second-year law student myself, um, I still find it challenging to read through legislation, especially because they're framed in a language that is not necessarily accessible to everyone. Um, so for me, what I learned, the way I learned to kind of understand legislation is to um, engage with um, disability advocacy organisations like People with Disability Australia, um, and look, there's a whole depth, I think a whole range of organisations out there that can that can um, that are more than happy to communicate with you and sit down with you and kind of go through what your rights are. Um, I often found that when I was in that undergrad, I, you know, um, talked to a lot of different um, advocacy services, but also um, 
academics within um, within the university. They're quite knowledgeable about how the legislation works. And so that's how I gradually started building up my knowledge of how the law works and how to read it. Um, and now I'm really kind of focused on trying to come up with ways to make it easier for everyone to access. Yes, I understand a real passion of yours is um, people with disability and the justice system. Um, uh, how, can you explain um, to people who would know nothing about, well, the criminal justice system in particular, um, to people who know nothing about that issue, um, can you explain in a couple of minutes what the issues are with people with disability and the criminal justice system? Absolutely. Okay, so um, it's probably a little bit challenging to get it in two minutes or less, but I think set you a challenge yeah it's a, it's a challenge you set me a challenge and um so basically one of the issues that australia is facing at the moment is that we have a lot of um uh people with disabilities within who have been incarcerated in the criminal justice system um and often those disabilities are most common in um intellectual disabilities, people with cognitive disabilities, um, those psychosocial disabilities, um, they're often wrapped up in the criminal justice system because their, their upbringing was very socioeconomically disadvantaged, so very marginalised growing up, you know, um, often they growing up they had a history of domestic violence, a history of abuse, you know, they're often victims themselves before becoming uh, offenders. Um, and, and so these are what we call kind of compounding complex needs and, and, and therefore it's very um, complicated for social services to kind of wrap their heads around, well, how do we support these people without just putting them in, in prison but unfortunately the, the the kind of social services system that we have at the moment is, is just not designed to support people with such complex needs um and look at you know we look at the the NGIS for example I think that that's a classic uh example of this of a, of a system that's was meant to be for people with disabilities, but it's really kind of not really been the perfect system in meeting our needs and being able to access social services. And so um, people with disabilities often um, neglected their rights within prison. Um, they don't have a right to um, ask for support. They don't have a right to vote. They don't have a right to do anything. Um, and so when they get released from prison, they go into what we call um, a recidivist effect. So basically it means they are at a very high risk of reoffending and then reinstitutionalizing back into the system simply because they don't know any better. Um, they haven't had any support. They don't know what healthy relationships look like. 
they don't know what it's like to be functional. Um, and so it can be quite challenging for for both people with disability and the system to work out what's what's the best thing for them. And yeah. so I'm very passionate about trying to come up with practical solutions rather than just coming up with, you know, general sweeping. What's your, what's your number one practical solution? If you could implement it tomorrow, what would it be? Oh, if I could implement that tomorrow, Ellie, I think it would be completely deinstitutionalizing the criminal justice system. I don't think that anyone should be imprisoned. Um, I'm quite progressive on human rights, so some people are like, oh, you know, what about murderers and, and, and sex offenders? And well, I'm like, well, we're only human. Humans make mistakes. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't punish people entirely, but I, I also think that you know, the way in which we punish people is quite colonial and quite outdated to what we know now with all the um, with all the, the kind of research out there on, you know, uh, psychological uh, support. And so, yeah, I really think that we should be destabilising institutions, much like we destabilise, you know, um, group homes and asylums for, you know, people with disability. I think we also need to think about deinstitutionalizing that for people who constantly get criminalised for no reason. There you go. Big ideas. Um, now, look, I've got a, a question for you that I think I know the answer to, but I wanted to know, what's your favourite piece of legislation? Um, look, I, I mean, you probably already know. The, I, I think the, the disability discrimination act. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's my favourite piece of legislation, but it, it's definitely the one that I'm most intimate with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think during my kind of career that I've kind of led up to now, I've kind of had a bit of a an identity crisis in terms of you know does my career have to be associated with my disability the background yeah. who I am um and I realized you know growing up even you know I just turned 30 last week and I just kind of hit me that happy birthday thank you and um I, I realized that I think the crime the, the mental health act has, has become very much my favorite piece of legislation at the moment simply because mm. It's so outdated, even though it's only 15 years old. Um, it's such an outdated piece of legislation and it doesn't really support people who are really going through um, severe mental health crisis. Um, and it doesn't prevent people from committing suicide. It doesn't support, it doesn't promote a social health or well-being, it really just puts people in a holding pattern. Um, and so we really need to change that. So I think the Mental Health Act of New South Wales is okay. probably my favourite at the moment. All right. All right. Shared shared honours there. Um, yes. But talking about uh, my final full question, talking about mental health, um, I know myself that 
fighting for your rights, particularly when you're someone with a disability and you have to do it day in and day out. And then you choose advocacy as a job. And then so your job is then fighting for people with disabilities rights day in, day out. So you're not just fighting for your own, you're fighting for our communities. Yeah. Um, it can, you, you can get burnout, you can get advocacy burnout, and it feels like a lot. Um, how do you protect your own mental health when it comes to that advocacy burnout of constantly fighting systems that aren't changing and fighting policies and programs that aren't working? How do you protect your mental health? That's a really good question because I still don't really have the answer to that. But what I can say, speaking from experience, is that um, I actually did suffer from burnout. You know, I finished my criminology degree and I was halfway through my honours thesis and I just completely break down um, simply because I was just piling on too much work and also I was talking on an issue that was quite, um, not personal, but it was on disability rights. And I think at the time I was like, this is just too much. And I then, you know, I then had to basically get get some help. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, obviously COVID happened. <laughs> so then, you know, a, a lot more, a lot, a lot more issues came along that way. But I guess in terms of recognize, you gotta like learn to recognize what the signs are, especially when you you're constantly trying to I'm all I think one of the issues is that particularly in in my experience is that I often try to compare myself with other people and it's that comparison yeah. of like comparing yourself with other disability advocates or say oh you know they're doing this or they're doing that and they're doing all these amazing things and I'm barely able to to get up in the morning that kind of meanwhile thing. they're probably having a, they're probably having a breakdown too because <laughs> they're doing too much exactly and yeah. you're only so, looking at their Instagram page yeah and yeah. so I've, you know, I've learned to kind of moderate those feelings now in terms of thinking that social media only shows a very small snippet of mm. what, what's actually going on in people's lives. So my eyes of rule don't really engage in social media only unless I'm promoting something that's really important to me and I know that's going to be really beneficial to other people um, within my community um, and so yeah I think you know just being aware of the of the of the of the, the burnout and also reaching out for help don't be afraid to reach out for help and ask and tell people to say look I'm really struggling I need some support um, and that's something I didn't do when I burnt out. I didn't reach out for help. I went, I did it all on my own. And I, I wish I kind of didn't wait to the last minute to ask for yeah. help. Well, thank you so much for sharing that personal story. It's so common. And um, I find that, you know, 
reaching out to other people with disability who do advocacy work and ringing and going like this week broke me like I had a week last week that just broke me I just had like every single day it just felt like the world put up like six more barriers and I was like I cannot have another day like this. This week broke me. And so I I called a good friend on the weekend and just had like a vent of all vents of like, how can the world be this ableist and this crap? And and then going, yeah, I've had weeks like that. Like I've had weeks where everything goes wrong. Um, It's a weight off you that it's not you. It's this society that has built up these barriers um and you go okay like brush it off new week um so I really appreciate you being honest and truthful there because we all have it meanwhile my Instagram looks like I've had a fabulous week and like I'm I'm shining and it's pretty and bright and sparkly um and I'm like almost curled up in the fetal position in the corner so like I completely agree with you about comparing to others on Instagram particularly um it's really dangerous thing to do so um good on you all right well my number one question that I ask every single guest um is when you want to be fired up to create some change what song do you listen to oh that's a great question um Oh, wow. I think. Oh, I think it would be Taylor Swift, Anti-Hero. Yes, I love some Taylor Swift. Yes. Oh, she's the best. I met her once. Uh, That was, that's a story in itself and she's lovely. Um, But yes, I'm so glad someone put some tea swizzle in there. Um, Thank you so much, Declan. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Um, Keep fighting the good fight. Um, And everyone uh, go follow Declan on his Instagram where he actually shared some good information. Um, Thank you again, Declan. No worries. Thanks for having me.